Hello everyone and welcome back to Faith Brunel's Insights. I'm your host Faith Brunel and today we, and today we have Daniel with us. Hi Daniel, welcome to the show. Um, so everyone, before we jump in, let me tell you a bit about today's speaker. So Daniel is a project manager. Um, he works for the, for the Knowledge Exchange at the University of Birmingham since 2016. We will kind of delve into this a bit more later on in the show in the interview today. He is also the author of the memoir After Oxford, which gives the reader an insight into his life and times as a fresher and graduate from this world-renowned establishment of Oxford. So, Daniel, could you tell the listeners a bit about yourself, so your age, where you're from, and where you're currently located now for us, please? Uh, yes, hi. Um, so, my name is uh, Daniel Sohn. I'm uh, 31 years old. Mm-hmm. I was born and raised in Birmingham. Um, and then after some time, as Faith mentioned, studying in Oxford and then working in London, um, I moved back to Birmingham, and I'm currently living in, in a place called Erdington. Okay, that, that sounds very, very interesting. So everyone, I should let you into a little secret um, um, before we get into the show. Yes, we are family. We're actually first cousins. And hence why Daniel is such a very special guest for me today. Um, so yes, honestly, it's so nice to have um, you on the show. So like, just before we kind of you know, talk a bit about more, more about your experiences and your uni and unique things like that, could you tell the listeners a bit about you know, some of your favourite childhood memories for it? Yes, so I'm one of uh, four children so I've got a brother um, and two sisters Um, so I think a lot of my kind of favourite memories are are spent with them Um, even things like kind of going to the park or or the library Um, I think I spent (laughs) most of my waking hours kind of outside playing playing football um, with with my brother and my friends Um, so so I think a lot of my memories are just those moments really kind of playing with them um, discovering new games and activities um, and really kind of spending quality time with, with my siblings. I share a similar sentiment in the fact that obviously you know that I've got a sister Bethany and we do a lot of things together and most of my childhood memories, in fact probably all of them, are spent with her. But could you talk to talk to us a bit about your hobbies for us? Yeah, so, so I think, um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Obviously, with <laughs> lockdown, it's a, it's a very different sort of hobby. <laughs> Your hobbies are limited yeah. uh, somewhat. Um, <laughs> but, but I think in normal times, I think a lot of my hobbies do revolve around sports. So mm-hmm. things like um, playing football. Yeah. Um, I love basketball as well. So, so watching really? basketball. Um, but, but then also like uh, reading has always been something that I've really enjoyed um, mm. since, since I was a, a young boy. So I've always loved uh, reading books of all sorts, sorts of different types and, and mm. kinds and, and themes. Uh, and then just doing things that then kind of stimulate me mentally. So, so mm. I'm currently learning uh, Spanish. Um, yeah, so am I. Oh my god. Do I have last español? Sí, hablo español. Habla español. One of them. just a little bit of a language teaser there for you everyone oh my gosh that's so interesting oh my gosh um yeah i love spanish actually i do i do love spanish it's just so i don't know i just i just love i love speaking i love listening to it and i love writing it as well um but daniel this is a kind of like this is a surprise question for you but i want to just kind of ask you obviously you mentioned that one of your hobbies is reading um what are your favorite um, genres then Yes, yeah, so, so, so I say all sorts of different mm, okay. genres, to, to be honest. Um, yeah. So I think I, I go through the different phases where sometimes <laughs> I, so I think growing up, I really loved um, like autobiographies and biographies yeah. because they kind of gave me real insight into people's lives and journeys. Mm. Um, but at other times, I've kind of spent real 
time just reading about things from different cultures and different cultural backgrounds. Yeah. So I think, so actually quite recently I was reading a book on um, Egyptian philosophy, okay. which is really interesting, just that looking into their, their mindset. Mm. So, so I, think, I think the great thing about reading is that it can just transport you mm, to definitely. any part, part of the world at, at any point in history. Mm. Um, so, so I think it's, so I think I've always loved just kind of reading beyond things that I'd expect because it helps to, to teach me more about the world I'm in. Obviously love reading. I think for me, it like, it takes you to like a different, like, you know, world as well. And I think, you know, just being able to delve into one of your favorite books is just so interesting as well. You kind of learn about different characters and different themes. And it's honestly so, so um, insightful. But Daniel, I kind of want to just ask, you know, could you tell us a bit about your role models and what marks them out for you? Yeah, and I think and that's kind of a good follow-up question to, to the <laughs> question of reading because actually yeah. I think a lot of my role models, mm-hmm. especially growing up with people who I um, read about in books, people like right. mm-hmm. um, Nelson Mandela, um, Martin yes. Luther King and others, people who yeah. within their own particular time and place kind of stood for, for justice and something mm-hmm. that was bigger than, than themselves. Um, and so for me, I think role models kind of have to inspire you they have Definitely. to kind of call you to be a better version of yourself um, and, and so for me I think I found those people kind of mm. primarily in books but they could be all sorts of different people around you who help you to, to be inspired Honestly, Daniel, I can, you know, I honestly agree, and I second everything that you just said. Like a role model is someone who inspires you, someone who motivates you, and someone who encourages you to really pursue your goals and kind of go after your dreams and not stop until you have really achieved them. But I just want to, I just want to talk about and discuss lockdown and kind of coming out of lockdown as well. So, can you tell us a bit about how you manage your mental and physical health during such a challenging time? Yeah, and I think you're, you're right. It has been like really challenging on, mm. on like a number of different levels. And, and I think for me, I yeah. I found especially the lockdown over winter like really difficult because I'd, I'd kind of start work um, yeah. and, and it, it would be dark outside and then you're working all day and then it gets to the end of the day and it's dark again. So, yeah. I, so I think I found that period really difficult. I'm not having uh, kind of sunlight. And, yeah. and I think I found that actually that's a really important part of how I get energy is actually being able to go outside and enjoy sunlight and things of that yeah. nature. Um, so, so I think so I think I, there's probably two things that really helped. Um, I think the first is just trying to build kind of better schedules when it comes to how I organise my, my day. Um, so kind of thinking about how I do kind of keep time for exercise and yes. keep time to, to relax at the end of the day I think is really important. Um, and then the other thing that I've really been doing a lot of during lockdown has, has been um, med- has been med- meditating. Mm. So kind of literally kind of spending time to just kind of quieten my mind a bit. And I think yeah. sometimes when there's so much kind of going around, uh, things like meditation can be quite helpful for you to really kind of adopt um, a position of, of peace and really kind of focusing your thoughts on things that are, are happening around you. Yeah, I'm going to say, Daniel, it's really nice, you know, it's really nice just kind of um, hearing you talk about how you manage your physical and your mental health as well. I think it's important that it's not just a physical, you know, in terms of like, you know, wearing a mask and staying safe, staying safe like that. It's also that it's also the mental, uh, which is, you know, which is of paramount importance as well. But I kind of just want to talk about that as well. I think for me, like, you know, just being able to get some fresh air is so, so important for me. Like, I think in the house, it gets so stuffy. I mean, me sitting online as well, I sometimes feel like it's just so uncomfortable. But, you know, um, I'm grateful that I have a garden to go out in and I'm grateful that I have kind of, you know, a space where I can go out and walk around the neighbourhood as well. So I think this kind of like ties into something that we've just been talk about, talking about, actually. But what are your top tips for staying safe? 
Um, yeah, so, so so I guess kind of the good thing is that there's been a lot a lot of kind of government guidelines. I mean, yeah. those guidelines have often changed. Um, <laughs> so, so, so I guess I guess the main thing really is safety in terms of from a our perspective has been to try to, to follow mm. those. Um, and, and I think most people I think have been quite sensible um, mm. at, at kind of just limiting uh, the amount of people um, who they're seeing. So so obviously in our case we've got grandparents and yeah. um, people who are elderly and of course it's been hard not being able to, to see them but that's just yeah, been no. a, a sacrifice to kind of keep keep them safe. Um, yeah. so, so I think kind of being sensible in terms of our decisions and then doing some of, some of the things that you mentioned um, in yeah. terms of a kind of mental health and physical health and really kind of looking after your, your well-being, I think. Yeah. yeah, honestly, I, I completely agree with everything that you just said. I think, moving on though, um, have you done anything fun or creative during lockdown? Um, I think apart from learning Spanish, I think probably my big uh, lockdown task has been mm-hmm. uh, doing kind of painting and DIY Ooh, okay. like in our house. So, so, so we kind of moved house just before um, lockdown so we had quite a lot of kind of internal projects to do so we've yeah. kind of done all the kind of uh, main moves in the house and then the last big task we have to do is the garden so, so, that, so, that's, <laughs> so, so, so that's the task that will keep you busy over the yeah. summer <laughs> <laughs> yeah I honestly think it's really important to have something that really keeps you busy as well like I think for me the podcast keeps me busy so like aside from my like work and my studies I have this you know to, not, not to turn to but it's almost it's like it's like it's like a delicate balance between like work and kind of play as well so kind of you want to have that relaxation I think for you decorating your, your your new house and kind of you know basically undertaking a garden project is really fun but I was gonna I was gonna ask you though do you have any news to share you know to share with us you know with us and with me and the listeners about any areas of growth you know with regards to employment experiences for young people um yeah so, so so i guess we are kind of like living in a really interesting time mm. um and and difficult and challenging time um due to covid um which i think is going to really have interesting implications for both mm. for the future of employment so mm. I, I guess one change will be around perhaps more flexible working so yeah. more people working from home or at least having some time at, at home Mm-hmm. Um, but there have also been kind of real opportunities around people who want to start their own businesses um, and enterprise. And I think that's something I always encourage young people to, to think about in terms of actually what are their, their skills and how might you then um, kind of begin to turn that into something that will mm-hmm. not only kind of help um, society, but that can also kind of build kind of your personal brand in terms of the type that you want to be yeah. in the future. Yeah, agreed. I think I think for me, like I think for me, listening to you like talk about it as well is really insightful, and it sounds really exciting as well. That, that you know, there's going to be so many new things, you know, post COVID nineteen that you can really get stuck into as young people. But I just want to move on to university now. So first of all, which university did you go to? What course did you study, and why did you go to that university? Uh, yes, so I went to the University of Oxford, um, mm. where I studied um, economics and management. Amazing. Um, and, I, oh, yeah, <laughs> um, and I guess the, the kind of why is, is kind of, mm. yeah, a bit of a long answer. So I think mm-hmm. I went to a kind of comprehensive school mm-hmm. in Birmingham. Um, and, and so I'd say it wasn't really something that I, that was expected. And also yeah. was something that I wasn't really aiming for really until mm-hmm. probably six six form yeah. so i think when i went going into year 11 um i think i was predicting maybe one or two eight stars 
Um, I was good at maths, so, so, so I was definitely good at like an A's, higher maths. Um, and, and, then a common, and then a combination of A's and, and, and B's. Um, but then I ended up coming out with seven A stars and three A's. Oh my, oh my um, congratulations. So I think it was then at um, that point yeah. that I then really began to mm. think seriously about Oxford as being sort of something that I could aspire to. Um, yeah. And I think my whole attitude was that I just had nothing to lose before mm. applying to Oxford, mm. that if I got in, um, brilliant. If yeah. not, then the chances are that I'd get into another university. And so I think that attitude really helped to remove a lot of the pressure from yes, things yes. because I was just simply trying to to kind of just give it my, my best shot and see what happened. Daniel, I think that's really important though. One thing I want to take away from what you said, you know, I think it's important to tell all the listeners out there that just because you don't get into a certain university doesn't mean the end for you. Like I yeah. think we need to basically change the myth and dispel the myth of that just because you don't get in, it's over. Like I was literally told, well, if you don't get in well, it's basically over. Like it's like you're not helping students who are already balancing yeah. the pressure of their studies and applying to university. They need that flexibility. They need that reassurance from the teachers as well. Um, I was going to ask, so moving on to, you know, talking about Oxford, which is honestly a great achievement and congratulations I'm so proud of you what you've done and what you've achieved oh, but, thank you um <laughs> it's so true honestly what did you enjoy most about Oxford um I think for, for me there were kind of two things I think the first thing is that the quality of education mm. I think was, was, was brilliant um yeah. so they kind of have a tutorial system where okay. it's basically you and, and the student with the tutor and you kind of talk about your oh, work yeah, and yeah. the things you're learning so I think that isn't really replicated anywhere else so I think that was really helpful because it gave me confidence in expressing my my views on, yeah. on, on the subject I was studying the society you can get involved mm. in the things that you can learn about yourself um so I think for me I just I just saw myself really expand as a person during my time at university I made some great friends who I'm still friends with now um and so all those things I think were really brilliant experiences honestly yeah that's <laughs> that's really interesting and I like you know I think from one university student to another obviously you've been to university but for me as a current university student I think it's not just about the course of studying it's also about as you said you know you know the friends you make well like I'm part of a society and I get so excited every Tuesday oh my god I've got and this tell the other whole family oh my gosh everyone I've got I've got a society meeting and I think it's about really like you know grounding and solidifying other relationships outside of the kind of um, the um, the expected ones but um I was just asking you like what tips would you give to students considering applying to Oxford then so you probably <laughs> yeah. don't have to put, put, put the work in and I think yeah. sometimes when I tell my story about the um, kind of grades I got at GCC kind yeah. of people have that reaction but actually there was a lot of hard work that Definitely, went into it yeah. a lot of mm. um, kind of setting um, goals for like revision and, and yeah. really sticking to it and making sure that I went to the exams as, as best prepared as I could be so, so I think yes. you definitely have to put um, the work in um, and then beyond that you, you then, just, then just have to uh, really just believe in yourself and, yes. and believe in your, in your ability and I know a lot of people who um, who kind of have degrees but then they just decide for whatever reason that Oxford or Cambridge isn't for them and yeah. sometimes it is that perception that people have mm. about what it's like to study there um, and there is a real fear but then you get there and you realise that actually most people are are really normal and, and, and actually you're, you can make friends and enjoy your time there so I think there yeah. are people who often don't even give themselves the opportunity to apply because of, of fear of what they might find so I think my mm. advice would be to, to go for it 
Yes, honestly, like I think in the words of you, Daniel, everyone just go for it. Like if you want to go somewhere, just go for it. And I think like, um, I think one thing that, that I've personally learned, like my parents always say faith, fear is basically false evidence appearing real. So you have to really, you know, remain positive and stick to it as you were saying as well. And I think to get to where you want to go, it's about making sacrifices, you know, you know, basically setting goals and sticking to them. Because one thing to set a goal, it's another thing to actually stick to that goal that you've actually yeah. set. And I think that, you know, you know, again, hearing and listening to you speak about about that you know really encourages me personally as a first year going into second year to say to say to myself faith continue to set those goals and continue to actually meet them and stick to them as well so thank you for that you know for such an insight that you've really shedded into that but um i noticed that you are the jcr president at oxford so i just wanted to ask you about how did you get the role and what did you enjoy most about it yeah, yeah. So, so I guess I'll, I'll explain what, what uh, JCR yeah. stands for. Um, so, so JCR is the Junior Common Room. Um, so kind of within a, an Oxford college and actually Oxford University is different because rather than applying to Oxford University as one building, it's divided yeah. into 30 or so um, individual colleges. So I applied uh, yeah. to St. Peter's College and that was where I had my tutorials and had my accommodation and, and ate my meals and yeah. so then within it within each college you then have a common room system where the junior common room is basically all of your undergraduate students right. um the middle common room or mcr is for your kind of masters or phd students okay. um, and then the senior common room is for the academics um so so it's like it's a name both for the room but then also mm. for um kind of different people who are elected to represent those group of students right. um, so, so, so the JCR president was the person who was representing the undergraduate student body in meeting with college uh, reps mm. um, so, so, so I think I decided to kind of stand for election um, for, for that position um, simply because I wanted to kind of make a positive difference to, to the yeah. St. Peter's community um, and, and so that kind of role was really great in terms of helping me to get more involved in Tudor politics and to kind of use more of my time to really think about how I could just bring about small changes and that would improve people's experience of Oxford. Yeah, honestly, um, again, Daniel, that's so inspirational. It's so motivational to hear about, you know, all the things that you did. You know, you know, I think one thing you said that really stuck out to me, really stood out to me with, with you when you said, you know, it's just about making small changes for the people who study there and live there. And I think that that's so, you know, important as well. But just thinking about experience, you know, really, um, whilst at university, what was it like being an access scheme training coordinator? Yeah, so, so yeah, so, so I guess as a... Uh, uh, Alongside kind of studying, like um, as we mentioned earlier, you kind of have a chance to get involved in different societies and student groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the groups I joined was called um, Tar- Target Schools, and they would kind of mm-hmm. provide opportunities for students who were still um, in secondary school to come yeah. to Oxford for a day and shadow students and kind of find out more about the experience of being a student um, at, at Oxford. Um, so, so, so I joined their committee and was responsible for coordinating groups of students who wanted to come to Oxford um, and so and so for me I think I really loved kind of being able to, to give back because I know how much I valued kind of when I was thinking about university having yeah. the opportunity to visit it and having the opportunity to speak to people about yeah. things so, so I think for me it was great to be able to use the experiences I had to then kind of give back to others. 
Yeah, honestly, like I think, as I said before, like it's really nice to hear you talk about giving back to others as well. Always taking into account other people and trying to help them in the best way that you possibly can. And I think that that's yeah. so nice and it's so good to hear that someone is actually doing that and giving back, you know, to the community. But um, could you talk to us a bit about your kind of experience at UCL? Yeah, so, yeah. so, 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 so UCL, so that was kind of after, after I graduated from Oxford. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mentioned that I went to, to London um, and was kind of doing uh, a number of different roles. Yeah. Um, but then I had the opportunity to, to then study a master's um, okay. part-time. Um, so, so doing a master's is very different to an undergraduate study. You mm. kind of have more freedom in terms of the things that you want to read and, and look okay. into. Mm. Um, so, so I did my master's in educational planning and economics, mm. um, but I had the opportunity to do my dissertation in Ghana. Right. Um, okay. and, and look into models of um, where kind of wealthier private schools were supporting poorer schools within their particular areas yeah. or regions. Um, so, so, so it was a really great experience. I think there were people on the course who had come from all over the world um, mm. to, to study the master's course. So it was really great just kind of hearing their experiences about the education system in their country. Yeah, I must say, it sounds great, you know, that sounds like such a great, you know, um, such a great and interesting experience. And um, Although what they do is a lot more than the recruitment, it's really around <laughs> training yeah. and development, especially for those people who are um, kind of underrepresented within a certain like, group professions. So they work right, quite a lot in the, in the legal mm-hmm. sector and uh, banking, as well as, as well as with the civil service and, mm-hmm. and across a range of other um, professions. Um, and so they organised a um, annual event called, called Rare Rising Stars, uh, which was trying to find um, the top 10 black students um, yeah. in, in the UK um, and with the idea of doing an award um, ceremony in Parliament. Um, yes, yeah, so, so, so I believe that I, I was named um, as the number one uh, black student. Oh my that one must have been in maybe 2010 or 2011. Congratulations. And then writing it up into mm. into a magazine as well. So I think I really love that that kind of idea of, on one hand, being yeah. awarded, but then having the chance then to be in charge of that process and just hear about these fantastic stories of uh, young black people who were doing amazing things. And I think sometimes in the press, like often those stories yeah. aren't told, but they were just incredible people who had started their own businesses, um, come from really difficult situations yeah had found success in their own ways yeah honestly that sounds so interesting engaging and I'm really honestly so proud of you I'm not just saying that because we're cousins because of family but honestly I just want to say you are definitely going places and honestly it's um it's so great to hear about it and I also give back to to, to, to others and you remember where you've come from and you remember kind of you know all the struggles that you had to face as well and I think that is what I really admire about you so um moving on from that um now, I just want to talk a bit about Target Oxbridge. So, could you talk to us a bit about the initiative and how you got involved? Students to get into place out from the Cambridge. Um, and, and so I think the focus on this programme really was on providing that support network so, so these students could really uh, look at role models, but then also get the insights to then be able to make competitive applications out from the Cambridge. Um, so, so I managed the programme for, for a year um, mm. and was the coordinator. Um, and then have kind of continued to support it as a mentor. And it really is a brilliant program. It's been running for um, kind of well over, probably around seven or eight years now. Okay, that's great, um, yeah. And every year there's more and more um, kind of pupils and students who are getting into to Oxford and Cambridge as a yeah. consequence. 
Um, but yeah, I want to just move on though. I noticed that during the pandemic, you featured on their podcast. So what was this like and how did this come about? Um, yeah, so, so I think, yeah, because I've mentioned, because I, I ran the program, I kind of had the connections to, 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 to the new people who are kind of, who, who is kind of, yeah, who was actually somebody who I studied um, at Oxford with right, as well. Okay. Um, mm. So, so I think Stars Art Street have a really great um, podcast um, series. So, so without wanting to kind of cross out to your audience, but, <laughs> um, I, I would definitely recommend um, kind of checking out the Stars Art Street podcast because I think there's some really interesting insights yeah. in terms mm. of um, yeah applying to university and, and the different journeys that people have have been on. Um, so I think for me it was a great opportunity to kind of reflect um, on my journey and to. Yeah. Yeah, to really kind of give a sense of actually how, yeah, my life has changed, both in terms of kind of getting into Oxford, but then also how I've continued to try to develop and in all sorts of different areas um, yeah. after graduation as well. Yeah, honestly, Daniel, that sounds so good. And again, I'm so pleased that you had the opportunity even during the pandemic as well. I think just to help other people and kind of, you know, spread the word almost and get more people involved. And everyone, yes, um, if you do want to, you know, if you do want to check out the Target Ostrich podcast, feel free. Um, But one thing I do like about what you said during this particular interview... Uh, you said you won't be able to um, run big projects or initiatives overnight. You have to start small, build your skills, build your confidence and start where you are. And I think that was just, you know, so inspirational to kind of just, just to read really on there. But I just want to ask though, also kind of moving on slightly, um, what was it like being a, um, a young black man at such a prestigious university? Yeah, people often ask that. And I think mm-hmm. the word I always use is, is different <laughs> because yeah. there was just this huge difference between uh, the kind of context in which I've kind of grown up in in, mm-hmm. in a place called Hansworth in Birmingham which is really <laughs> yeah. a kind of diverse place um, to then kind of go to a place like Oxford where yeah where there wasn't anywhere near that same level of, of, of diversity um, yeah. and, and, I, and I always say that Oxford is also the first person the first place where I recognised class as a thing mm. so I think before that class was something that I very much like read about books but actually that was probably the first place where I actually experienced it yeah, um, in terms yeah. of just being around people who have just grown up uh, very uh, differently um, but, but I think as I said I think I did find that people were were open um, mm. to kind of like learning I was still able to make some really good friendships then there is almost like an inevitability of being a minority at a certain point whether you experience that in school, where you experienced mm. at university, where you experienced in the workplace, and so I think you do have to build a kind of resilience yes, um, yes. and a focus about what your ambition is. Yes, Daniel, honestly, agree. The University of Birmingham. What does your role entail, and how did you get there? Yes, yeah, so, so I think so. I've been at the university for almost five years now. Yeah. So I think when I first moved back to Birmingham, I really kind of had the mm. time to, to kind of take a step back and think about what sorts of roles I wanted to, to do and apply for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember at the time kind of seeing a position um, at the university that was around supporting students from um, what they call widely participation backgrounds to be able to yeah. mm. um, kind of improve their employee outcomes. And, and so it seemed to be a really good combination of the, the things that I'd done at Rare, um, but then also the things that I was really passionate about kind of contributing mm-hmm. to in terms of education um, and then ended up then kind of working on the, the kind of main project that I'm working on now 
uh, which is the building that the university okay. purchased uh, right in the centre of Birmingham mm, yeah. for, for it to be a hub that connects the university research with, with kind of making a positive difference in, 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 the, okay. in the city. Yeah. Um, so, so that's been a really good project in terms of in terms of the impact that I think it can have on the city, also in terms of using my my skill set. So the mathematical and management abilities I developed at university, mm. um, I've been able to use a lot of those in terms of develop, developing and, and delivering this project. So Daniel, now moving on to life post-university, could you tell us a bit about your book slash memoir called After Oxford? And, and I guess I kind of wrote it because a lot of people were almost similar to this conversation that we're having today, yeah. were interested in finding out about my journey to get, in, mm. to get into Oxford. Um, what it was like studying there but then also mm. kind of what I had done afterwards um, and mm. so actually I thought there'd be some benefit in kind of really trying to write that journey down in a way that was honest um, and open both about my successes but also about the failures and things mm. that I had to learn um, along the way as well um, so, so, so I think kind of like, like you said at the beginning of the interview I think yeah. I think st- I've always found stories to be a really powerful way of being able to um, inspire people and to kind mm-hmm. of show you um, the world from your perspective. So I'm um, talking a bit more about the book and kind of the content of it. You know, in, in a brief overview of your book, you mentioned that you survived Oxford. How could, you know, could you elaborate on this for us? So, yes, I think, I think that was kind of in the time of thinking about how I adjusted to the difference. That I right, there. okay. So, so I think definitely the, and, I, and, I, and there's a chapter in my book um, called, called the first term, where I talk yeah. specifically about that first term of arriving in Oxford, and you've got kind of Welcome Week or Freshers Week, as it's called. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, Freshers Week. And, and so you've got all these very <laughs> different things kind of uh, surrounding the, mm. the, the start of university. And then on top of that, we then kind of have a really intensive uh, workload. So mm. I probably had two essays a week uh, plus additional work. That, that we kind of had to do oh uh, exactly <laughs> so, so, you see what, so you can see why I use the word uh, surviving yes uh, because I, I think at, <laughs> because <laughs> I think definitely at times it's a, it's a case of actually just just having to adjust to mm. expectations in terms of work um, so, mm. so I think there was a period of adjustment but, but I think again I'm stressed that I think with anything in life whenever you grow you are brought out of your comfort zone and you are forced to adjust and to develop. Yeah, and yeah, honestly, um, completely agreed, actually. I completely agree. So let's talk about the phrase on the cover of the book. So you said, um, getting and fitting in, standing out. What was the background to this then? Yeah, so, so, so I guess I was trying to kind of just break down some of the key questions um, that I had. Right. So, so, so getting it is, is that whole process of people just not really knowing kind of what's the process mm. to get into Oxford. Yeah. Um, and then I think with the fitting in, like you notice mm. actually that the fitting in has a question mark by it. Yes, if it does. And, and that kind of relays what I was saying earlier around why do we try so hard to fit in? Right, like sometimes yes. we just have to embrace the fact that we won't always fit in, but that's not the, the worst yeah. thing. And, and then standing out, uh, I wouldn't say it's something that I've, I've um, intentionally tried to do, but, just, but I yeah. think when you when you don't fit in you then have the ability to stand out in a positive way you know and I think that's really important but I just want to talk about here um you mentioned that you campaigned on issues of access and racial equality could you talk to us a bit more about this for us yeah issues of 
justice. I think have always been things that have um, sometimes like we kind of wrote a report and, and involved it up for our students in, in, in something called the Hundred Voices campaign, which is trying to record uh, the, the experiences of of um, Black, Asian, and minority ethnic students um, at Oxford. Um, but but since then, I've continued to do things like that. So even at the University of Birmingham. Um, and part of the Race Equality Network, um, which does a number of different things to try to um, improve uh, relations and understanding between staff and students. What do you turn to to relax yourself after a hard week or even a hard day? Daily-wise, I think mm. probably like, like most people, kind of having one or two kind of series on Netflix or something. <laughs> like Definitely. On my house. Uh, but then the average uh, yeah, things like meditating, reading, mm. um, I do and really find helpful in terms of me, me unwinding. Mm. Um, and then and hopefully at some point I can go on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> the dream. Chelsea. <laughs> It's good to kind of hear you talk about that as well and give your uh, opinion on that question. Now, onto a question that I've asked many of my um, previous guest speakers before. Could you say, like, in your opinion, which careers will be in demand post-COVID? Yes, it's interesting. So, so I think in terms of kind of what people say in terms of where the career shortages are, um, obviously there's the kind of tech sector, which which will always continue to to kind of grow because actually that's the world that we're in now when it comes to yeah. um, technology, skills like coding, mm. um, being able to work with, with data. One of these are, are skills that yeah. are, are really in demand. Um, but I think beyond that, I think one of the biggest skills you can develop is is emotional intelligence. Yes. So being able to kind of work with other people, um, being, being a good colleague, mm. um, being able to do some of the softer skills like like public speaking and yeah. Um, yeah, kind of knowing how to write and all those things that we can take, sometimes take, take for granted. So Daniel, finally, before we um, close up today, what advice would you give to students who feel lost now and aren't sure how to navigate their way, uh, how to navigate their way out of this pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you're right. It's, it's, a really, it's a really difficult, yeah, unheralded mm. um, time really, where I can't think of a previous time where like exams have been canceled. And... <laughs> Right, rather than being able to get into universities or on grades, then the key thing is around developing mm. skills. Because actually, if you're somebody who's got a broad set of skills, then then you'll always be either being demanded by employers or you'll be able to kind of create your own destiny and create your yeah. own business. Kind of think about how you can continue to build and develop and gain new skills and use that as your passport to take you wherever you want to go. It's been great talking to you really and you know just basically hearing and listening to you talk about your experiences and kind of where you are now but just you know just before we um, end today how can the listeners get in touch with you after the show? Yeah that's a good question because <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of on social media stuff but I'm not yeah. really. <laughs> so, so, um, yeah. I am, so I'm on Instagram uh, yeah. Daniel Stone author um, I apologize if I take long to, to reply. Um, I'm also <laughs> actually more, more kind of um, active on LinkedIn. Um, yes. And Daniel Stone. Well, well, Daniel, I just want to say, honestly, like um, a huge thank you for agreeing to be on the show today. It's been great, you know, talking to you, chatting to you, having a laugh about, you know, um, having a laugh about Spanish and what we've been doing uh, during lockdown. So huge, huge thank you um, today. Yes, but it's, no, it's just been my pleasure. And uh, de nada, as they say, you know. <laughs> 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 de nada. Adios. <laughs>